I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but an excellent one, Kevin Clark, one of the uh, one of the, the prominent uh, voices, certainly for a web generation when it comes to the NFL. You know his work from The Ringer, from The Wall Street Journal. He has now moved to Omaha Productions and ESPN, and this week he launched a digital show called This Is Football. will come out three times a week. You can get that on any platform you get podcasts as well as some ESPN platforms. And in this podcast, Kevin discusses leaving the ringer to join Omaha Productions and ESPN, uh, why he created this digital show and what he hopes from it, potential guests, um, the importance of an agent at this point in his career. And that's something I think even uh, younger people can learn from. Then we get into a little bit of football, his pick of the Bengals Cowboys for the Super Bowl. We get into Peter King's predictions. Peter uh, picked the Eagles and the Bills. Thoughts about the Chiefs, the Jaguars, the Niners, and why a Las Vegas Super Bowl, and I agree with Kevin here, is going to be incredible and more. So Kevin Clark coming up in a second. Just one quick uh, note, and forgive me for the uh, PR and marketing, but uh, you'll be hearing this a lot this month because if not me, who else? Um, I guest edited a book called uh, The Year's Best Sports Writing 2023 from Triumph Books. It's the uh, it's the book that comes out every year, which uh, – uh, reprints the best sports writing of the year. Uh, in this case, as chosen by myself and a great advisory board that I had. And so if you're a fan of uh, long-form sports writing, as well as some short-form sports writing in here, we have a couple columns uh, uh, that made it. Um, I think you'll uh, I think you'll love and appreciate it, particularly if you, uh, if you love good, uh, great writing. And uh, two of the people, um, which I was really honored to put in the book, Grant Wall, and, um, and Jonathan Sarks, um, both who passed away in 2022, their work is in this book. So uh, check it out, The Year's Best Sports Writing 2023. And now coming up, Kevin Clark of Omaha Productions at ESPN. All right, as I said at the top, very excited to have this guest on. He's been on this podcast before. Um, if, you, if you like reading and listening to smart football, Kevin Clark is pretty much at the top of the list or one of the people at the top of the list when it comes to that kind of, I guess I would sort of, I mean, I don't mean to sort of say this is like highfalutin, but like uh, an intellectual uh, look at football. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's big, Kevin. There you go. Kiss of death. Let me run it. Yeah. So <laughs> he is, uh, he has launched a digital show. This is football with Omaha productions and ESPN. 
The show debuted yesterday upon this taping, September 6th. Um, this is a very, very big initiative for Omaha Productions and ESPN. And on a very, very busy day for Kevin, I am pleased to be joined by Kevin Clark. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for having me, Richard. We've come a long way since I went to a Kinko's in Clearwater when I was a sophomore in college to make copies of my clips so that you could read them before recommending me to a Sports Illustrated editor, who, by the way, turned me down. Yeah. Um, once again, yet another in the long line of terrible decisions by Sports Illustrated. But uh, but yeah, no, I was happy to do that because uh, I, I knew there would be really, really great things uh, for you. And oh, no, it's because you're a nice guy. And because I was no, just no, saying, no, no, no. It was hold pure, right yeah. here. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to Kinko's to make copies of Sun Sentinel clips for some pure, random pure, night, overeager 19-year-old. Your selfishness, man. I'm, I was looking to, <laughs> add to the add to the team. All right. So let's start here. Like um, you spent seven years at the ringer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's 2016, right? I was there before launch. Destination job. Basically you had, you worked at the wall street journal before again, destination employer, mm -hmm. destination job. Now you've headed to Omaha productions and ESPN. So um, if you could, how did this come about? A uh, couple things. Um, first of all, I had the best job in sports media like i truly like there there it, it's a it's a it's dream job stuff and i would only jump for another dream job um omaha and espn is that and and you're looking at reach and change of scenery which is always good in a career i think and it was a job i had to take um and that's just kind of what i was just very upfront and and uh communicative with my former bosses at the ringer um this is just an incredible opportunity to do a show three times a week with omaha with espn's reach to be i mean i just got a text that we're live on espn's youtube platforms with robert griffin the third and eli manning um like that's cool to me um leveraging the espn brand i've wanted to work frankly for espn since i was like three years old that's that's the dream um that's the it's like the baseball player wanting to play for the yankees um and i don't know if players want to do that anymore but they used to when i was growing up players wanted to play for the yankees now they don't nobody wants to play for the yankees anymore because they're a bad team um but it's that kind of mentality um that i've always had i had i had a lot of goals i'm a sports media dork you know that i cornered you when i was 19 years old um and and i just you know espn is, is the is the the I don't even know what you would call it. The, uh, the capital of, of sports media. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's it, it, ESPN is not what ESPN was in, in 2000, but it still remains uh, essentially in the conversation for the most important sports brand in the United States, unquestionably. Um, and so I understand that. All right. There are probably some things you're not going to go into detail on, but let me, let me see if I can get a little bit of a broader thing. Does, do, does Omaha production slash ESPN, reach out to your or your agent to say like where where we we're impressed by the stuff that you've done at the ringer would you consider coming here like how does that how does that kind of relationship develop and work so i would say i'll i'm going to start broadly and then get into more specifics okay um i would say i've met with basically every network over the past three or four years, just whether that's informally or formally. Um, a lot of it could just be a producer from a pregame show saying, Hey man, let's get, let's get coffee at, at 
Stan's coffee shop in Larchmont. Right. Um, sometimes it's more formal than that. Um, sometimes, especially around events, and this is this is for every single person. Every person you've heard of has done something like this in the NFL media, where it's uh, the combine or the owners' meeting or the draft, and you run into somebody and they say, "Hey, let's get coffee," and then you just kind of talk. Um, that's just sort of the way it goes. Contracts end. My contract was up the end of the summer. Um, and so I had had a couple of conversations. I didn't, I, 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 if I retired at the ringer, um, at age 65, I would have been thrilled with how my career, um, evolved. And so I don't, and and the ringer let me grow and all that stuff. And so it wasn't like I was sitting there being like, I'm out of here, boys. Um, it wasn't that at all. Uh, it was just sort of getting, getting all the ducks in a row um, as far as what was available to me, looking at the opportunities and I, I just seeing what was the best opportunity for the next step of my career. And so um, I had met with a couple of people from Omaha, from ESPN, and it just felt like that was, that was the, the home for me, the fit for me. Um, I don't think it hurt for me. Um, the fact that I live in Westchester now, so just kind of near multiple ESPN studios, whether that's in Seaport, I'd done just, just for some more context, I'd done debatable, um, which is an Eric ride home show pretty much all of last football season in the Seaport. And so I'm around, I'm kind of, I'm seeing people and, 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 you know, sort of get comfortable with, with that. Um, the Seaport's a very weird place because there's not a lot of people there who aren't talent. So it's just like, you'll be at the, at getting a coffee and it's just you and Greeny and Rob Ninkovich. And, and it's just like, a, it's a very fun, funny place to be. Um, but I got comfortable there um, over the past two NFL seasons. And so, uh, um, yeah, it was, it's honestly, it seemed like a no brainer. Um, and that's always been my, my guidepost, right? Where I got offered a job at the Wall Street Journal when I was in college. Um, and I actually commuted from Miami to, to New York in my last semester of college. Um, and, and that's a, a whole different story. Um, but that was a no brainer to go to the Wall Street Journal. When I'm at the Wall Street Journal, I get an email from Bill Simmons in 20, January, 2016, going on a flight to, to Denver, uh, actually, oddly enough to go cover the AFC championship game, which was Manning Brady's, uh, last AFC, AFC title uh-huh. game. Um, that was a no brainer. Like as soon as you get the email, you say, okay, my life is going to change forever. And this was another version of that. So, um, I only, I know this is a very weird way to look at it and I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go along here, but I, I, I would only jump for no brainers. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. All right. So one more on this. And, uh, and I, I think there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are, um, younger than you who sort of want to figure out like how to navigate a role in a very, very tough business. So at a certain point, Kevin, um, you do have an agent. Um, your agent is mm-hmm. Michael Klein. He, among his other clients are Mina Kimes. Uh, is Bomani Jones still a client of his? Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know? Okay. Mm-hmm. And PFT commenter, uh, Eric Solenberger, who's obviously a very famous personality for Barstool Sports. At a certain point, could this have happened for you if you didn't have an agent, or does it get to a certain point of where you are at a career, particularly with the ringer, where you really do need to have somebody in that kind of position to open up potential doors for you? And obviously, this is a major, mm-hmm. gigantic door that just opened. Yeah. So first of all, Michael Klein is the man. Um, shout out, Michael Klein. A um, couple things on that. Number one, I think it's, I think it's possible to get a huge media job without an agent. There are people, and I don't, I, I don't want to say their names, but there are people who, who I know who have massive media jobs without an agent 
And there's a couple of reasons for that. Either they're great news breakers or they're just athletes or, and this is a separate category, athletes who um, use their old playing agents or their old marketing agents and right. don't have some huge media agent, right? Um, I have had opportunities in the past to go to, to networks without agent help, just people reaching out to me. Didn't make any sense. What I'd say the agenting thing comes in is a a big picture view of where the market is and where the where the media world is going. Making sure every call is made and just like, hey, let's check on this, let's check on that. Um, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm currently doing without uh, the help of Michael. That that is, I mean, like he is. He's also just like I, I'm. Just not very good at negotiating from money like i'm just really bad at that i'm but, just but like hey man whatever you want to do that would so make you some- honestly have something in common with like 320 million americans it's not a common thing. <laughs> i'm just i'm just like hey man whatever you want to do so i kind of need that that opposite personality i'd also say that part of it is there's a threshold you have to cross as far as productivity as far as work ethic as far as making a name for yourself before you can be considered for a job somewhere um but once you're in that, um, some, somebody the other day was actually saying that TV is like a, it's like a, a VIP section at a nightclub where uh, you don't know how you got there, but once you're in, you're just kind of moving, you're just kind of moving around, and you, right. you can't really be kicked out unless you're really badly behaved. Um, and so once you're kind of in the this kind of the back of the nightclub, I guess so to speak. Um, you know, there's obviously differentiating factors from there. So, I mean, shout out Michael Klein, he changed my life. But um, I think that there's a lot of different paths. I don't think the one thing I want to like, the one thing I want to emphasize if someone's 24 years old and they just got out of Missouri journalism school is you don't need to hire an agent to just start, you know, sending clips around. For like sure. you were your own best agent for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you, unless, um, you really have designs on television and, and you happen to meet somebody who really thinks you have a great future. And if it's a yeah. legit agent, then that would be something to consider. Uh, one more thing on this, and then we're going to get to the the new stuff that you're doing. Does the ringer make any attempts to try to keep you? Even if, even if you, even if this opportunity is so great that it doesn't really matter what they sort of said, but did they at least go through the pro forma? Cause you've been a really, really important yeah. voice there. I know, one of the things that I noticed was how many of your colleagues like said great things about you. So it clearly wasn't just a job for you. It was more than more than a job. Yeah. I don't really want to get into the the back and forth of it. Um, I'd say that like, I think that most people knew that I was ready for this opportunity and wanted this opportunity. And so like, I was hugely thankful for what the ringer was able to do. And I think that, Again, I, I think that I, I could have stayed at the ringer for a very long time. Um, gotcha. And I think I would have been happy there. I think they would have been happy with that. Um, it was just a change of scenery thing. And so I don't know if we didn't get into the back and forth of it, but like I, yeah. I had, I had the, certainly the door was open to stay for, for a very long time. And they're very, like, they are an amazing employer. And that, that's the one thing that I, I emphasized over and over again um, in my, my goodbye notes is like, I'm happy to come to work every day for the past seven years and like happy to um, collaborate with everybody. They made my work better. Like that was amazing. Um, they took care of me and, and I just, whether that's in, in every single way, they took care of me. Um, and so it just, I cannot speak highly enough of the ringer as an employer. And I just, I just loved it. So give me, if you can, or give my listeners, if you can, the sort of the elevator story of what this is football is going to be. Yeah, so it's going to be a digital show. Um, 
similar to what I've done in the past, uh, where it's three times a week. Sunday's the recap. Wednesday's the bigger guest. Friday is more of a preview with two, um, whether that's beat writers or analysts, local analysts, and we're going to go through a bunch of different stuff, right? So uh, we have a Steelers expert and a Bears expert on Sunday, and we're going to go through not only their their uh, their prism, but also the the way they view the league. Um, a couple of things about it that maybe stand out. The one thing I think we've had a lot of success with, uh, certainly at the Ringer over the past couple of years, is like people just love hearing guys tell stories and or get very specific. And I think that like we had a thing a couple couple months ago at the Ringer, um, which is a good example of this, where like George Kittle. Uh, I think it's got something like a few million views um, where George Kittle is just talking about how Kyle Shanahan calls plays that, that don't work intentionally. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that draws in new listeners. It teaches people about football. It's a jumping off point for a million think pieces. It goes, it rattles around the internet, all of that stuff. And when you can get the athletes and you can get that sort of um, IP, I guess it, it, it's evergreen. First of all, um, Kyle Shanahan's not going to stop doing that. Right. Um, and it's it allows people to discover what it is that we're doing. I mean, Richard Sherman did a very similar Kyle Shanahan story months ago. Not to make this a Kyle Shanahan pod, um, but a couple months ago he did the same thing, and it went it went crazy. People love learning about football, and there's an insight, especially when you have former players or current players. There's an insight that I am not able to provide, no matter what homework I'm ever able to do. And it's funny because I, I I've I've thought about this a lot. I think the athletes have a huge advantage in the podcast game. Because not only do they understand, like I'll give you an example. I, th- I think the world of Chris Long, I think he's so good. And there's two things he's able to do really well. One is just off the cuff, tell good stories. Um, I, something that, that, that comes to mind is he, he and Bo Allen were talking about how hard it is to play against Ezekiel Elliott a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago. And like, that's just something I can't do. I can't say, hey, I know running backs might be you know, not as valuable as they were, but it really sucks to tackle Zeke Elliott on December 15th uh, in a divisional right. game, right? That sucks. And that's the advantage. And the other part of it is that at people, athletes and coaches uh, open up to them in a way that maybe they wouldn't for somebody else. A good example is he had Sean Payton on last year and he, Payton was telling this story about onside kicks and how he changed the direction of the onside kick in, in the Super Bowl because he wanted to go towards his bench in case there was a 50-50 ball and the refs could be worked, right? Um, that level of ball knowledge is something I just, I can do so much homework. And I do. I watch so much tape. I make so many calls. I'm just not going to get that level of ball knowledge. And so if I can get Robert Griffin III, who was the first guest, um, if I can get Eli Manning, uh, who was the second guest, to tell me those sort of stories, that sort of insight, um, you know, I, Eli was talking about um, Patrick Mahomes and 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 how he's able to kind of test his limits in practice. And he's, he told me a story about how he was joking about um, he used to tell coaches that he was testing his limits in practice every time he threw an interception. Right? Like I can't get that sort of insight. It's very funny, very good comedic timing everywhere. The Mannings are very funny, um, but that's what we're trying to showcase. Is especially midweek. Okay, I'm gonna have my insights. I'm gonna have my takes. I, I can do these monologues. I'm a writer, so I can write these things out. Um, but then the, the crux of it is always going to be somebody tell me something about football that not only I don't know, but whoever is listening doesn't know either. Do you, um, it's not that you necessarily weren't able to get a lot of good guests for your previous work at The Ringer, but does being connected to ESPN in Omaha, bring a, in your opinion, does it bring a different level of potential guest? 
We'll find out. Um, the guys, Eli has been on my show. It been on was on Sony's Day uh, twice before this, um, and so that doesn't change. I'm sure the the relationship with ESPN helps, and that I'm sure they're not going to get bugged if I uh, if I bug you know the PR Derek Volner and Bill Hoffheimer and those fellows. If I if I check in with them more than I would at the Ringer, I'm sure that that's going to be received well. Um, but they helped me out a ton at at the Ringer. Um, and Volner got me Orlovsky at the Super Bowl. Um, he's got me Schefter before. So, I mean, that kind of relationship, it can only help. Um, I don't know the answer. Um, I know that we have two awesome guests on Wednesday. I know we have two awesome quarterbacks lined up next week, too. Um, but I, I, it's going to, I think that early in the season, there's just a ton of people available. I mean, like la- last year in the first episode of Slow News Day, the, the, the four guests were Mina Kimes, Andrew Whitworth, Bryce Young, and Desmond Howard. Yeah, uh, that name, kind of guest. Uh, guest is more available in September and then in January for the playoffs and then uh, around draft time, right? Like the last last draft week, we had Sauce Gardner, Travis Kelsey, and uh, Von Miller. But I think it's going to be more what the level of guest is. It reveals itself more on like December 5th. You know, can you populate the guest list on November and December and whatever? I think we'll be able to. And the other thing, I think this is more important than the ESPN thing is I'm not writing right now. Um, and so... I just spent, I was in Tennessee, spent 30 minutes with Mike Vrabel, right? Amazing conversation. Awesome for a written piece. But I'm, uh, it, the next time I ask for Mike Vrabel, it's going to be for this show. Yeah. And so that I think is important is I'm not serving a bunch of different masters. And so uh, I, you know, one thing I do every training camp is I get every quarterback I can. Um, so last year just picked off Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, right? For written pieces. Now, if I do that, if I get in a minivan this time next year, that will be for this show. Um, and so I think that changes too, is that the writing part of it goes away. And so any connections I have, any access ins I have, it's being used to book this show and not being, hey, I got 20 minutes. I'm making this up. I got 20 minutes of Matthew Stafford. Uh, I'm actually going to write a column off it. There's no more of that. What... Um... Do you have, I mean, it's still obviously very, very early days, but do you have a sense of what kind of television work you'll be doing for ESPN platforms? Uh, I'll do more television than I do now. Um, I'm about to do Paul Feinbaum as soon as this <laughs> this logs off. Um, I've heard from a bunch of different producers. Um, I don't have, there's no set schedule. There's no anything. I mean, like the most important thing for me is making sure this show works. And then like, I am extremely confident I'll have, a lot of opportunities there, but like, I think that it flows. I think the most important thing is like, and it's not just ESPN TV. It's just like, just building buzz. Like the most important thing is making sure this is a good show. And like Kyle, uh, RG three said something about Justin Fields. I'll give you an example, or he says something about Kyle Shanahan. We'll put off to the side. Like he said on my show that the, the Justin Fields is going to make a Jalen Hurts style leap, right? Mm. That's going to go everywhere tomorrow, everywhere. Um, in Chicago, I don't know if it'll go national, but like that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, then that happens and then more opportunities flow. You get X amount of subscribers. Like that's kind of the model for what we're doing is RG3 comes on and we have the best discussion that anybody's heard all week about football. And I can't promise that every single episode, but it's what we're going to strive for. Wow. Um, and, and so uh, I just know that if we generate good buzz with this digital show, good things will happen. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I think that generally um, like TV is taking is 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 more comfortable with 
I, I come from the internet, right? And that's important. And it's funny because uh, somebody was telling me a couple of weeks ago, we were just joking around and they were just like, you know, TV executives just see from the internet or from TV, right? Kind of like the nightclub analogy I, I used earlier. You got to get in the back of the nightclub. Um, and you see now, like I just saw the other day that, um, I don't know if you know who Josh Pate is at CBS yeah. or at 24-7, but he's in the analyst mix uh, I saw at CBS the other day. He's awesome. He's totally of the internet. He's a YouTube guy, has a great podcast, and I think people are getting more comfortable knowing that um, guys on the internet can talk. Uh, guys on the internet can talk for a long time. They know their, they do their homework, they do their information, and man, they can fill 20 minutes. Um, and so I think that's the most important thing uh, as as this kind of goes on, is that networks are getting more comfortable with people of the internet. Where will on, on top of obviously where you can get podcasts? Where will this content live in addition to that? Yes. So anywhere you get your podcast, ESPN app, and then the ESPN NFL YouTube page, um, and then that will be Omaha Instagram, all that stuff. I don't know. Kind of as um, as we go, we'll figure out sort of what hap- what lives on ESPN's NFL Instagram page, whatever. I'm not really sure on on all that stuff, but I know every episode will run in full on the ESPN NFL YouTube page. All right, let me ask you a couple of football questions before, uh, before I let you prep for a uh, fine bound. Uh, Peter King <laughs> um, predicted, it's kind of interesting, my old colleague, uh, predicted Eagles-Bills in the Super Bowl. What's your initial reaction upon hearing that or when you read that? So... I'm picking the Cowboys and the Bengals. Okay. Um, a couple of things. Number one, I don't hate the Bills. I thought about the Bills. I always think that we, as a media punditry and fans, shut the door on teams a year early. And I think that's what's happening with, with the Bills here. And it's funny because I've used this analogy a million times, but listen to a podcast years ago with a guy uh, who was a music manager who was trains manager. It was a, it was a Mark Maron podcast <laughs> for some reason. Right. And he said, the, the secret of the music industry is everybody gives up on on acts too early they have one above average album and it's not a huge hit and somebody says all right we're done and his whole thing was just taking those sort of acts and you know think about like weezer right where everybody was out on weezer (laughs) in the mid 90s and then they come right and i always feel like with teams we just go out on these and so everybody say oh the oh josh allen's window is shut what are you guys talking about he's a young quarterback he just signed an extension 18 months ago um or 24 months ago like he 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 is at the the top of his game, quarterbacks love him. Uh, Eli Manning was on my show the other day, and he said that he's basically tied with Mahomes for his favorite quarterback to watch. Um, the Stephon Diggs thing is weird, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on around the NFL. Um, there's a lot of great teams that are distracted by certain things. Um, so I love that Bills pick. Eagles, I don't know. You got history against you in as much that only one team, the Patriots after the Nick Foles game, has made the Super Bowl after losing it since the Jim Kelly Bills. Um, I'd say that they're replacing two coordinators. And I'd say that like there's a little bit of roster overhaul there that I'm I just don't everything was so perfect last year. I love Jalen Hurts. I love him. But I think the Cowboys, all they need is a little bit of Dak improvement. And he's he's gonna be healthy this year, all that stuff. And I did this in my monologue on the show today, but if Dak Prescott's your number one question as a team, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I would love for Dak Prescott to be the problem. You know how many teams around the NFL would say, I'd love to have Dak Prescott be, be the problem for my team? <laughs> Let me ask you about two teams where it seems like the the vibes or the optics seem to be going different ways, even though um, 
both teams are seem to be sort of picks for the playoffs in the AFC. So it strikes me, just again, just more of a vibes thing or just reading stuff, that people are ticked down on Kansas City, and people are very, very excited or high on Jacksonville. So those, and then maybe I'll ask about one, one NFC question too. Yeah. But what what are your sort of broad thoughts on the fact that it seems like they're the love of Kansas City has dropped the tick at least nationally, and you yeah. know whether it's people like Peter King or stuff uh, uh, or or others. I, I can't tell you how many places where I've seen people are all in on Jacksonville this year. Yeah, Jacksonville just seems like a natural leap team i guess you could call it going right. from good to great um they they finished really well last year they have real holes uh at parts of the season early on and it looked like it wasn't going to work out then they go in this run they win that playoff game but remember a couple of things number one they were down big in that playoff game trevor lawrence made a lot of mistakes in that playoff game before recovering uh, i think asante samuels uh jr is still somewhere catching uh catching interceptions down there in duval um but that but that ended up not mattering and nobody really remembers that they got a lot of young talent um, I'm not as high on them. I think that there's good. I think they'll win the division only because the division is putrid. I would not sleep on the Colts in that division. Um, they had a very good draft. I think that Anthony Richard is going to be able to have a floor with, uh, his athleticism that is special in his rookie year. Um, I think that the Titans just win games. I think Mike Vrabel is on the kind of Mike Tomlin and I'd maybe throw Dan Campbell on the fringe here of guys who are just going to have their team ready to play all the time. Um, and I don't think that they're going to tank. I don't think they're going to do anything like that. Um, so I think they'll win the division, but but only because of a of a lack of a lack of options, frankly. Um, with Kansas City, I think it just goes. I don't think anybody knows what this team looks like without Chris Jones. That's the problem. And he's one of the best players in football, and he's probably the second or third best player on the team, depending on how you view Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, by the way, has some sort of injury that he picked up this week. And so the other the other problem the 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 bias is actually just towards boredom. Like I don't I think you get dunked on if you pick the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl now. Um, not not that you know you're going to get old takes exposed or whatever, but I think people are saying, come on, do a little better than that. And that's not the reason I went with the Bengals. Um, again, having your one of the best players in football holding out and with no end in sight. And that doesn't mean I think he's going to be back midseason. I think he's not going to sit out an entire year. He wants his contract to toll. There are some fines that, that happen. Chris Jones will be back. But the issue is if he misses six games, what does that do? What does that do to home field? I mean, I, the, the, the home field was was really tight last year. Um, it was cr- com- incredibly complicated when you think about the, the, the Bengals and the Bills game. Um, and so... I just think there's there's a couple of questions with the Chiefs that are bigger than there are. Like the Bengals' biggest question is replacing their safeties, and I think they actually had the answer. Like again, we're talking about what? How can you fill? How can you answer a question? The Bengals, I think, returned seventy five percent of the roster last year. So did the Bills, by the way. Um, they're, they're tied for the, the top in the NFL. Um, they're running it back. They have the most continuity and. If one of those top guys, if T. Higgins were doing a holdout, I would change my mind. Um, but I love what the Bengals have, and I just question this Chris Jones thing being a little weird. All right, final uh, final two. Uh, when you think about Brock Purdy as it relates to winning a Super Bowl, what do you think? I think it could happen because of a couple of things. Number one, weak NFC. Like we saw this last year with the Eagles, where they're going up against a bunch of quarterbacks who, you know, are just barely above insurance adjuster as as their next career path. Okay. They're going against a they were going against a Niners team. It was down to their third, fourth quarterback. Um 
it was it was tough. And so you might get that again, and you might get a little luck, and all of a sudden you're there. Kyle Shanahan is able to take his quarterbacks and turn them into the most important stat for a quarterback is yards per attempt. And Kyle Shanahan is basically able to, to take whoever he has, does not matter. You're talking about insurance adjusters, and and turn them into what amounts to elite yards per attempt guys, every single guy. And that's I think that's part of the tragedy of Trey Lance not getting to play enough, but we'll we'll put that off to the side. Um so once you're in the Super Bowl, I mean, the fact that he almost won a Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo tells you that he's capable of just about anything. So I think he's on a very short list of some of a guy who I wouldn't count out for for any reason. And I think Brock Purdy can win a Super Bowl. Would I pick him to win a Super Bowl? Probably not. But I'm not gonna, I, you know, I, I'm not gonna absolutely melt down and say if, if the night he wins and say this this was the most stunning thing in the world. This is not you know, Baker Mayfield. Okay. This is not, uh, Mike white. All right. This is Zach Wilson, right? This is, this is a guy who plays within structure for Kyle Shanahan. And once you can do that, you can do a lot of things. Last one. And again, mo- obviously most of what you focus on is, um, you know, is on field stuff. This is more of sort of an off the field, um, thought. And that is, um, what do you think of the Super Bowl being played in Las Vegas this year? It's a, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, once upon a time, this would have been inconceivable, mm-hmm. and now I think there's like a real argument to make that, like, in terms of like extravaganza, th- this could be the biggest one of all. Yeah, it, it's the perfect sweet spot because it's a world city, I guess you could call it, right? Definitely. And yeah. the way Las Vegas is structured, it can take over whatever is in. Even though there's a lot of people in Las Vegas at all times, and there's always 15 different conventions or whatever, right? Whatever is in Vegas is the dominant thing always takes over in a very fun way most of the time. Um, when I, I went there, I've gone there for a bunch of UFC fights, gone there for a bunch of boxing matches, and you can there's a different vibe in the city, right? Um, and even though I'd say, what, 5% of people actually on the strip are there, you just, it just feels different. The energy is different. The Super Bowl is going to an iconic city, and they get to take it over. I think the criticism of, and you're probably living in New York at this time, the criticism of the New York Super Bowl was you're walking around anywhere in New York and it didn't feel like the Super Bowl. Yeah, it which really it, I lived um, there at that time and that's, I think that is a fair criticism, honestly. Yeah, and and I, I remember uh, the hotel, headquarters hotel was in the Sheridan downtown, a couple yep. of those, or in Times Square, a couple of different things, a couple different areas, maybe felt a little bit like the Super Bowl. The teams were staying in Jersey City or Hoboken, and it just felt like you could walk around Chelsea or the West Village, and you'd have no idea that the biggest game in America was taking place on that Sunday, and the game was in Jersey. Um, in Vegas, the stadium is right there. Everyone's going to be staying in the same 15 hotels. I think we're going to see a spectacle unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, I obviously, that that dovetails with the with football feeling more comfortable about the gambling element um embracing it even um even though fans and media have been doing so for about 70 years um or maybe longer and so i i think it's gonna be amazing i really think it's amazing i don't see many pitfalls um and and i just i'm really looking forward to it yeah i agree with you i think it's gonna be a pretty remarkable one too all right kevin clark has launched a new digital show this is football. It is a, a co-production of Omaha Productions and ESPN, as he said, thrice weekly. Um, you'll be able to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, more. As he mentioned, 
You'll be seeing it on other ESPN platforms. He himself will also be on multiple ESPN platforms. And this is a very, very big initiative for ESPN and Omaha. Um, you know, when you give somebody runway to sort of create their own vision, uh, that means they have a lot of faith in them. Kevin, uh, I'm really happy for you. Um, I wish you the best of luck with this. And um, I know how much passion and effort you'll put into it. So, so I expect it to succeed. And, uh, and I'll check back with you during the middle of the year. Thanks so much for joining should, me today on this sports. Should I run to Kinko's and make some more clips? I feel like at this point, um, I don't have the same sway at SI that I once oh, had. Oh, wow. So, I cannot, okay. uh, so I'm not even trying to get you an interview with an editor, let alone being rejected by that. But, but just so you know, you now are part of a long and very distinguished list of writers who were rejected by Sports Illustrated who went on to, to great things. The one thing I've found is that the people who reject you do not remember it or care. That is true. Typically. Uh, yeah. I, the, I, it, I, um, when I, after my mom passed and I was cleaning out our, uh, you know, our family home, I found a lot of the internship rejections that I yeah. received. Um, and also because I lived in Buffalo at the time, I had a rejection letter from Margaret Sullivan, who of course went on to Ooh. become the, uh, ombudsman of the New York public editor, of yeah. the New York times, and obviously a very, very famous, uh, media writer. So I did, uh, uh, I have her email. So I sent her an email saying, I found this in my, uh, uh, you know, my mom's house. You, you rejected me, whatever it was, 1999 or something like that. And, um, and she was very funny. She said, you know, just a continuation of my, of my poor news judgment. So, that, the, that, so we, we all happened. have those. And I, I clearly like, I, it was great to sort of see, because I think, I think I kept them. It must, I must've kept them as a motivational, tool because why would I have kept like 14 declines from like the Miami Herald San Diego Tribune they're all, they're all declines there were no acceptances there there was only there's only one job I really 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 wanted didn't get it was a Boston Globe internship that actually I don't even know if he knows this I flew up to Boston to interview I was told by someone in the know that I was probably going to get it went to yeah. Baxter Holmes wow. uh, at ESPN at Baxter Holmes but so I was so pissed off about this for years, kind of like you using the motivational thing. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually never told the story publicly. I'm glad it's going on the podcast. So I was so pissed at the editors there for so long and not dissimilar to uh, my old boss, Bill Simmons, but I was so pissed. And so I'm in the Patriots press box as a Wall Street Journal writer, getting a little bit of traction in my career. And I see two of the editors who turn me down and I'm like, I'm wearing a suit. I'm feeling great. I'm like 25 years old. And I go up to them to just kind of do like a, hey, I'm what's going on? I'm here at the Wall Street Journal. I made it. And they had just no idea who I was. Just yeah. no. And I had spent like eight years, six years just being like, those, yeah. I'm going to, those guys, I'm going to, they're probably looking at my clips. I'll ruin the day. And it's like, they don't, they're moving on. And that's, it's actually a good lesson. And now I just don't even hold grudges against anybody. And I don't I even remember what's going on. It is a very good lesson. And I do remember at the time I was kind of like bummed out. Like, you know, I'm a University of Buffalo graduate. I, I'm like letting the Buffalo News know I really want to stay in town and sort of, you know, work for this place. But in hindsight, had I got hired at that job, I pro I may have never left, and I would not have got to experience working in Sports Illustrated, working in the Athletic. So you never also know like what you know things that happen in your life sort of take you to a different path. So let's say you got that internship, and let's say the Globe yeah. loved you. Who knows what would have happened, right? I don't know if you get to the ringer if if you become like the. I'm just making this up. Let's say you become like the voice of the Patriots in that market. Yeah, you may never have left. Uh, I agree. I also, but I also thought I was going to stay in Florida. I thought I was going to be like the college football writer for the Sun Sentinel or the Miami Herald or the yeah. Orlando Sentinel. That's what I thought I was yeah. going to do. That's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. 
And then well, I mean, weird, the weird shit started to happen. School. I mean, that was that that was a pretty incredible job too. Especially newspaper yeah. is much more um, had a lot more money then. But yeah, no, it's. But um, I I feel that way about when you say Buffalo. I feel the way about the Orlando Magic being good. Where every time I'm like, oh, I wish her, I wish Shaq and Penny had stayed together, or whatever. And it's like there's a real scenario in which I'm just the Magic are so good that I can't leave Orlando. And then it's like, do I go to UCF? Do I try to go? You know, it's like eh, I don't know. Like, am I one of these guys who say that? Am I, am I now one of these guys who say that they, like UCF won the national championship a couple of years ago? Am I one of those Twitter guys? Like you, you don't want to go through all that, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I you don't, I don't root. I mean, I, I really don't. But I have such a fondness for the city of Buffalo, and I remember driving to Rich Stadium in my crappy Honda, like in the worst snowstorms, like you know, covering that team as a very young person. So I really, honestly, would like to see them succeed. I just know how much that would mean to the city of Buffalo, but. You would have more experience than me. I, I've never lived in Cincinnati, and the likelihood is, like, it would mean as much to Bengals fans too, and it would mean as much to this fan base too. So I get it. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, listen, enjoy Paul, Paul Fine. I mean, how much do you know about uh, Ole Miss? You know, whatever Fine Mountain talk about. I am pretty. You good on the it, SEC? College football is like my my passion project. Okay, so you're fine. Um, and so I can I can shoot from the hip pretty well. Here, we'll, we'll, I'll, I will actually listen to this segment. If you had to guess, does Feinbaum ask you about Deion Sanders in the segment? Yes or no? Uh, I have some inside information. I believe it's going to be the, the second topic he brings up. Okay. After the concept of this is football from Omaha and ESPN. Oh, All right, beautiful. I'll be listening. <laughs> All right, Kevin Clark. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Richard. Okay, my thanks to Kevin Clark for uh, his time and his insights. If you like these kind of conversations, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. The podcast prior to Kevin Clark was Ty Schmidt, the producer and an on-air personality for the Pat McAfee Show. Obviously, a big week for the Pat McAfee Show this week. Todd Blackledge of NBC, their new college football analyst on their number one crew. Kendall Baker of Yahoo Sports, Jenny Carlson of Sellout Crowd. Chris Fowler was a guest on this podcast talking about tennis and college football. Mark Spears talking about the NBA and ESPN president of content, Burke Magnus. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.